Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand your consciousness, stimulate your thought, enhance your physical and mental health, and encourage community. Typically, we start our program with news and notes in psychology and medicine, but today we're going to start right out with our interview and we're going to save news and notes for the end of the program. But stay tuned, because at the end of the program, during news and notes, I'm going to be giving you some latest information on hydrocordone and its friends. We're going to talk about Ambien, Lunestra, and Intermezzo, the sleeping medicines, and some latest updates on omega-3 supplements. But now, our interview. Our guest today is Mark Lesser. He's co-founder and CEO of Siley, Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, a nonprofit company whose vision is creating enlightened leaders worldwide. Mark, for 20 years, has been integrating mindfulness and awareness practices with business strategy and leadership practices. He's a Zen teacher in the lineage of Suzuki Roshi. He was resident of the San Francisco Zen Center for 10 years, and in 1983 served as director of the famous Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, the first Zen monetary in the West. Mark is uh, the author of Less, Accomplishing More by Doing Less, and ZBA, the Zen of Business Administration. His latest book is the topic of our interview today. The book, Know Yourself, Forget Yourself. Five Truths to Transform Your Work, Relationships, and Everyday Life. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Mark. Thanks, Richard. It's really good to be here with you. How are you today? Doing great. You're down in uh, Mill Valley, California right now. It's true, and I'm I'm sitting in the sunshine, uh, basking at the moment. Wonderful. Well, let's bask together. (laughs) The... um, Know yourself, forget yourself. Five truths. Let's start right out because the truths that you talk about and your prescriptions are what I'd really like to uh, focus on today. So to begin with, give us a little background. How did you come to write this? (laughs) Well, you know, the the truth is... um I, uh, you know, you mentioned my last book was called Less, and I actually signed a contract uh, with New World Library, the publisher, to write a book called More. Um, And and in part, that was because even though, you know, less is really about accomplishing more by doing less, there were certain people who, who misunderstood it and, and, and thought, in fact, there was, there was one, uh, one CEO who I was working with who said, I really like this book less, but I'm, I'm not going to show it to any of my employees because I don't want them even uttering the word less. <laughs> so, I, I, um, so I started down the path of writing a book called More, and, and what, what kept coming up in that was this whole, um, how paradoxical everything is, even you know, accomplishing more by doing less, or that I'm writing a book called More. And as I was, uh, as I was writing stories and teaching lessons and looking at my own life, what kept coming up was how powerful paradox is and, and contradiction and, and thought, 
we and, and then looked, you know, stepped back and looked at, uh, you know, Zen practice and philosophy, which I've been studying and practicing most most of my life, and and realized that that even Zen uh, really uses uh, how to practice and work with what looks like paradox as a way to become uh, to become more clear and to and to use paradox as a way toward. Uh, actually developing insights in in our lives so so that led me to feel like though there must be a way to to talk about paradox as a way of practice and as a way of insight and as a way that uh, really integrates my my business world and my coaching and leadership world and my Zen world and my personal life and all of that um, kind of came together and and I uh, as I looked at the writing I was doing, uh, these five particular themes that became kind of the five truths, uh, you know, seem to be uh, more and more uh, resonant with the, the framework about which I wanted to, to work on and, and write about paradox. So that, that's kind of how this book came to be. In, in the first of the five truths, know yourself, forget yourself, um, you say that uh, knowing yourself and forgetting yourself is about paying attention what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I think um, what I what I mean by that is that um, you know where where we put our attention is is everything, you know, and that um, and that to even think that we have that our attention is is a relationship. Our attention is a relationship uh, with ourselves and with others and with the world. And that we, uh, this, this kind of uh, powerful aha that we, that we participate in creating context of our, of our lives, that we participate in, in the knowing ourselves and in the forgetting uh, ourselves and that um, we don't we don't exactly um, completely you know create the context there are you know we there are our particular uh, circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in and yet we have a lot to say about how we um, how we interpret them and you know and this particular this particular um, uh, phrase you know and 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 attention you know first of all attention uh, I, I often, um, you know, I, when I'm teaching meditation and mindfulness in, in different contexts, especially when I'm teaching it in the business world, I'll, I'll often call it attention training. I think that people can, um, can often get, oh, you know, kind of um, upended or, or uh, people have ideas when they hear, when we hear certain words like, meditation or mindfulness, we immediately create some context of what we think that means. Yes, a, so man, we, a man sitting up on a mountain in front of a cave in a toga or in a, in a, in a loincloth or you know, that kind of stuff that uh, people you know, get into exactly. their minds. Yeah, Exactly, or something mysterious yeah, or, or right. that we, we're stepping out of our lives or some, you know, some Eastern thing. But, but if we talk about attention training, or even the word attention, that, that's more, we don't, we don't have any, any baggage with that. That's like interesting. Or if I say, 
if I say to a business person, um, how important is it your ability to pay attention, uh, your ability to focus, your ability to uh, expand your awareness, and how important is the quality of your attention when you're with other people? And that gets that actually gets people's attention. And 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 then if we say, well, we can we can actually train. You can train your mind to focus, to expand your awareness, and you can train your mind to improve the quality of your of your um, attention. So this this I think opens uh, opens a lot of doors. You uh, suggest that people keep an attention ledger. What would that look like? What's what's an attention ledger? Um, yeah, it's it's um, there's a few different ways of of thinking about that. One is um, uh, kind of noticing uh, where you put your attention. Or, or I talk about I talk about doing an, an audit, like doing an audit of of um, I think of it as a, an audit of your particular um, habits or patterns in your life, and you can, uh, you so it's actually keeping keeping a ledger that you might do uh, once or twice a day over a period of of a week or even two weeks would be better, and that you you create uh, some categories, uh, things like um, how much sleep did I get, uh, what was how healthy was my food. Uh, how much exercise did I get? Any uh, was there any? Uh, how much spiritual practice time was there? Did I have? Um, how many meaningful conversations uh, did I have? Or what was my mood like? So it's interesting. Just um, just taking stock of what where we where we are, and to do this without judging, without editing, just to kind of spend a few minutes every day, kind of keeping a, an, an audit or a ledger. And then at the end of uh, end of a week period, or, or even a long, little bit longer, like a two week period, just taking stock and seeing, oh, what what patterns do I notice in these things like food, exercise, spiritual practice, sleep, uh, can be can be a really good, very very practical, easy exercise. Which I I first did um, it was probably about ten years ago when I went through a year long coaching training program in San Francisco it was one of the uh, one of the exercises that we did and I found it I found it surprisingly uh, beneficial to do that kind of a simple audit is it difficult for people to do the audit do they they have a hard time you know actually uh, keeping up with it for a week or two and writing down these various things and how do you motivate them to do that right I think I think this is where uh, where like working with whether it's with a coach or a friend or a buddy, it can you know we 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 seem to do better when we make um, when we make promises and commitments to others. So Richard, if I say, hey, I'm going to do I'm going to do this audit for two weeks, and I'm going to I'm going to hand it in to you. I want you. I'd really like you to take a look at it and talk to you about it in two weeks from now. So. If I make if I make that kind of commitment, um, it's interesting how um, we, we seem to be, and, and this is true for me too. You know, I'm I, I'm I'm much better at actually doing things when I make commitments to others. Just like I, I never would have written this book had I not signed a contract and made a commitment that I'm gonna I'm going to I'm promising someone I'm going to hand in a book in you know in eight months from now or a year from now or so. 
So I think that can be a, um, it seems strange. What a, why do we need to do this? But it, it also seems like it, it works. Just like uh, I've noticed I teach a lot of people who want to start a meditation practice. And it's hard if you're just going to go off on your own. But if we say, hey, let's ch- you know, let me know. Um, just send me an email at the end of each day and let me know either I sat meditation today or I didn't sit meditation today. Just that you need to do that. That little that little thing uh, can really help um, do help us do things that we want to do. So the principle here is to make either a private to a friend or a family member or a public commitment, uh, so that the word is out there to more than yourself, and then we feel somewhat responsible for following through because we're going to have to talk to our friend or family member or whoever it was in the public that we made the announcement to, such as uh, the difference between telling myself that I'm going to quit smoking and telling my family, friends, or people at work that I'm going to quit smoking because then it's more obvious whether I'm quitting or not and I've got a sense of commitment going. Well, you know, it's interesting how... um it's all about, I think, how powerful being in relationship is for, for we. So whether it's in, um, you know, uh, 12-step programs where, where people have, um, you know, have someone that they're, um, that they're working with, or in Zen practice, you know, Zen practice, there's a wonderful expression in Zen that, that Zen teachings are passed on from warm hand to warm hand, right, that, that, that there is this, um, that there's an, there's a certain exchange, there's a certain relationship, and and um, you know, just like um, I, I feel like um, I'm in this relationship with you, Richard. Even though even though we've never met, I've 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 heard of you and your reputation for for many years, and it's interesting how um, it was important to me. Like I, I felt some real um, interest in in cultivating. Uh, that relationship with you by having this conversation this morning. Oh, that's very kind of you, and I'm I, I'm viscerally touched to to hear it, and I feel the relationship that you that you're that you're mentioning, and and thank you for that. Um, I um, I'm looking here at, at one of the uh, the next things that you're suggesting, which I I find just fascinating, where you say practice letting go of a fixed identity by dropping the story, step out of character. Tell us more about dropping the story and stepping out of character and the value of letting go of a fixed identity. Yeah, well, this is one of those, you know, it's so easy to say, and I think, you know, we all, most of us, or maybe all of us, we, we get it, um, at least as an idea, but it's so hard to do. And, uh, but I think, I think just having the possibility or the confidence that we that we can do that. So, you know what I mean by that, and in very practical ways. You know, I um, I uh, I notice I'll, I'll I'll come home from a day of work, and I'm I'm um, you know maybe maybe I'm I'm wanting to play, and I'm energetic, or I'm wanting just to relax, and I, I walk in the door, and I see that my wife face is giving me some signal that she's had a hard day or she's not happy or frustrated or something. And, and in, that, in that moment, I feel like I need to kind of drop, at least for an instant, 
sort of drop my story or whatever I'm wanting and tune in. What's happening with this other person? Uh, so it's an interesting. It's interesting just to even notice how much happens in that that instant of meeting another person. I've got my story. I'm you know of, I'm wanting to play. I'm wanting or I'm wanting to relax. Whatever it is, and to be able to um, to just put it aside for a moment and be able to tune in. What's happening? What's happening with my wife? Where is she? What is she needing? And maybe I need to um, maybe I need to drop my story for longer to really pay attention. Maybe she's had a hard day. She's something she wants to talk about. And that same that same kind of dynamic I think is happening all the time in our work in our work situations in our personal situations on very small you know very small levels like that, but on very even very larger levels about um, ways that we. Uh, underestimate or sometimes overestimate our, ourselves or, or abilities. So just to be able to course in that in that territory of noticing, and it's a little bit little bit like what I was saying earlier, Richard, about you know talking about uh, knowing yourself. So knowing yourself and forgetting yourself, and maybe this is an example. So knowing yourself is knowing you know as I walk in the door where I am, what's happening. And forgetting yourself is to be able to be able to put that that aside, to be able to be in whatever the situation is that might be different than what I'm wanting or hoping for in in, in that in that moment. So that's that's what I mean. When um, when you conduct these these audits and you're looking at yourself and you realize that you're not doing what you just described, Mark. You're not walking into the home and looking at your friend or your husband or wife or your loved one and seeing where they're at, but rather you're coming in with your own story and with your own self. And yet you read in the book, in your book, that about listening with empathy. How, how do you teach the business people who who are so motivated by money and success, how do you teach them? Give us a few clues here about teaching them to listen with empathy to another human being, to make the other human being's feelings paramount rather than the negotiation or the success of the interaction and so on, what they're trained to do. Yeah. You know, well, what's, what's interesting about this, Richard, is that we're all we're we're actually the training we have in empathy is much much stronger than the training we have in in desire and greed that uh, we and and it, and there's some really fascinating neuroscience and you you've probably been studying this as well that's coming out about you know things like mirror neurons and yeah. entrainment you know that that we we humans are are built our you know we've been we've been you know it's been created in in us in our being to that we can that we can feel the feelings of of others this is something that um, just happens without us having to do anything and that and that i think um, i think more and more people are getting that in fact em- empathy is like there are these uh, particular categories that are the, the most important practices of, of, uh, of really successful leaders. 
So some of them might be things like you might expect, like achievement drive is, is, is on the list and team building is on the list. But empathy is, is on the list uh, of, of one of the characteristics of a, of a great leader. So, um, you know, to, to answer your question, one of the things, so you mentioned I'm, I'm, running, I'm running an organization called the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, and we do these trainings. Yes. Uh, emotion, mindfulness and emotional intelligence trainings. And one of the core skills that we teach is, uh, and work with is, is empathy. And one of the particular ways that we, we do that is there's a, a, um, an exercise that we do, a kind of a guided meditation of having, having uh, people right in the workplace sit next to another, another human and, and um, kind of we, we do a guided meditation called a Just Like Me guided meditation in which we, you know, we create a very safe space and, and, uh, and a space with a lot of confidentiality. And we have uh, two people, you know, kind of um, looking at each other, facing each other, and just bring them through this kind of guided meditation in which we have people notice that, you know, this person sitting across from me has strong joys and desires and, and aspirations just like me. You know, this person sitting across from me has felt pain and disappointment and, and despair uh, you know, just like me. So we go through a whole, you know, we do this for maybe a, you know, 10 minute, 10 or 15 minute exercise in, in actually practicing this, um, this just like me um, uh, practice. And then at the end, uh, suggest that people actually send, send um, wishes for this person across from them to be, to feel um, happy. And to and to kind of a a, a loving kindness and compassion uh, exercise, and to send a, a kind of a sense of uh, you know may this may this person here uh, feel happy and free and uh, at peace, and then to extend those same those same wishes um, to other people in the room and other people in the company and people outside the company. So we're actually teaching a uh, you know a kind of um, meta a, a loving loving kindness and that and how beautiful and i think powerful that you can do this any place you can do this you know do this with your spouse or your family and that you can um do this in your in your workplace and then the you know what's um what, what's quite powerful about this is then then when you go you walk into your workplace and you wonder are other are other people wishing me happiness and just just that thought can can shift the, the, the workplace. So you're beginning with a recognition, the just like me, of our common humanity, that we're all going through similar things in life. And then you're wishing upon the other what you'd like for yourself as well, which is happiness. Exactly. In a way, it's, um, it's unbelievably uh, simple and obvious. And yet, um, as you say, it's not, you know, it's, it's it's kind of shifting the ground, shifting the the assumptions and context in which we which we work, and that's so. I mean, one of the things that I've been involved with for much of my much of my life is is helping to see people, helping people to see that you know that I I, I call it the the one I call it the dirty little secret of the business world is that it's all human beings. 
no matter what it is we're doing um, in, in anything, it's, it's people, and it's people who um, are built for empathy and, and compassion, and that we all want the same thing, um, and that uh, you know, we all want to be happy and free, and uh, we all want people to, to, you know, we all want to be loved and, and respected and feel comp- competent in and, and, and what we're doing. Uh, and, um, and that we can, just by recognizing and peel, peeling back this overlay, this overlay of as though, as though business is primarily about making money, and, and, and in fact, seeing that, that businesses actually are primarily about serving other people, and that, and that we, you know, it's a little bit, uh, I, I've heard this wonderful analogy lately. It's like, you know, um, you know the human body, uh, we, we, produce, we produce red b- blood cells. This is something that the human body does. We produce red blood cells, and we need to produce red blood cells in order to survive. Now, that doesn't mean that the whole purpose of a human being is to produce red b- blood cells. So businesses need to make money, and they need to make money much like humans need to produce red blood cells. They need, they need to produce money in order to survive. But that's not the purpose of a business. The purpose of a business is to meet, to provide some product or some service that, that somehow benefits other human beings. And somehow we've gotten, there's been confusion and a kind of, you know, we've kind of drunk the Kool-Aid of, of mistaken identity about what business is really about. So we're having to uh, kind of... Uh, Clarify that and undo that, and see that that really all business is about some uh, some higher purpose, or at least some some taking care of of others in some way. You know, philosophically, I love what you're saying, and I wish the world were like that. At, at the same time, practically speaking, you know, I look down, I see a headline: HSBC shouldn't be too big to jail. And it says, if you and I laundered large amounts of money for terrorists and drug cartels, we'd be sent to prison for a long time. However, the megabank, HSBC, recently admitted to taking part in exactly those types of activities. And when I read that, I don't feel very uh, empathetic or compassionate for these people in HSBC who completely got away with doing this. I would go to jail, you would go to jail, but they don't go to jail. They just get a slap on the risk of a fine, and and uh, which is a, a minuscule amount of the profits they made by laundering money for drug cartels and terrorists. How? Can, what do I do there, Mark? How do I? I mean, I don't know if I even want to be more compassionate. I'm ashamed to say towards these folks. I recognize their fellow human beings, but really, I want them to go to jail. Right. Right. So, um, I. I get that, and I, I, I completely understand that. So, so maybe the first thing is, you know, uh, there are literally millions of businesses here in the United States and in, in your communities, in your neighbor. You know, like I, I can remember I once did a, uh, I once gave a lecture about this topic at, at Zen Center's Green Gulch Farm, and, and uh, the first question that someone asked me, they said, how, how could you work how could you work in the business world? Isn't everyone pretty much evil and, and lying and, and greedy? And, and I, I, I looked at this young man and said, I work with 
literally hundreds of businesses, you know, that from customers and vendors and, and, and pretty much everyone that I work with is a caring, compassionate, honest human being. And that, and that, um, and, and that you kind of pretty much have to be in order to stay in business because so much of business is, um, is about trust and it's about um, relationship. Now, having said that, you know, we all know individuals and we all know businesses that, that um, where people are uh, greedy or deluded or, you know, where there's a kind of, you know, um, conspiracy to cover up the truth. And, you know, we, we, all, know, we all know people like that. And, uh, and certainly what, what, makes, what makes the headlines... Uh, are these especially? I think these um, large. Um, I think I think financial services. The financial services industry has, you know, over the years, um, more and more as it's been deregulated. You know, banks banks used to all be kind of stodgy, trusting, trustworthy uh, organizations. You know that <laughs> that served a real a real um, a really great purpose. Uh, over these uh, years of deregulation, they've been turned into essentially uh, huge uh, gambling casinos. Uh, basic and and that we you know that we and this is you know this is the big we you know we we who have put in uh, our our congressmen who have chosen to deregulate the industry uh, and you know we who allow these congressmen to basically have the we've created a system where these large organizations are supporting and have their hands literally uh, in the pockets of these people. So we've created, we've created this system that is totally um, out of whack and, and where uh, there are huge um, problems, you know, with um, <laughs> banks that have been turned into gambling, gambling casinos. And, and, you know, I often think of, um, but if you can, uh, you know, I often would love to be in the boardrooms of some of these um, some of these large organizations, where I, I imagine you'd find a whole mix of human beings. You'll find some human beings who will be wringing their hands, saying, "How did we get here? What the what the hell are we doing?" Um, and you might find other human beings that are, you know, "Hey, how can we make the most money possible?" And blah blah. blah. So it's. I think it's a very um, a very complex situation, and um, I think you know. And interestingly enough, I was just contacted by this big bank, this one that you just mentioned. Um, literally, I was contacted by them a couple of days ago, saying they wanted my help. They wanted to talk to me about uh, seeing if we could work with leaders to uh, fix, actually work with leaders to um, on issues of um, openness, integrity, transparency, and that they recognize that they, one, you know, they've got a big problem, they're being investigated, and, you know, and, and you, know, you raised a whole slew of issues, right? They, I, I'm in agreement with you. There's, there, there, people, should be, people should be punished appropriately for, for uh, breaking the law. And, you know, so you've, you've, that's a whole big subject, and I don't, I don't know how much you, you want to go there, yeah. but that's, pretty, that's a pretty big, full answer that I think I just um, came back with. <laughs> yeah, we are listening to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. Our distinguished guest today is Mark Lesser. 
He's the co-founder and CEO of SILI, the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. It's a nonprofit company whose vision is creating enlightened leaders worldwide. Mark, what do you do when you go into a company? It's run by what seems to be very decent people, like most everybody is. And uh, at the same time, you realize that the, um, the, product, the product that they're producing is an empty product that might have been a decent product when the company started because they did, nobody knew better. But now it's 50 years or 80 years or 100 years later, and this company is still selling gummy bears to poor people all over the United States. And you're aware, as I'm aware, that gummy bears basically have no nutrition whatsoever. They're selling a, a sugar product to people who are giving it to their children. Uh, they're teaching their children you know, the, the value of a neg what I call a negative treat. In other words, if you're unhappy or something, or you're crying, here, take a few of these little sweet things. And then that becomes a treat for the kids, so they're hooked on it for the rest of their life. And probably the worst part of the whole thing is that the child is being taught that when something is going on inside emotionally, they should take something from the outside and put it in themselves rather than teach what you, Mark, teach, which is to go inside yourself. And we know that the result of, of, of eating those little gummy bears or those Mars bars or the Cheritos, you know, all those little things that are, that are empty calories but they taste good to children, the end result is a lot of drug addiction because once you learn that when you want to change your emotion to take something, it, it isn't a big jump to then be taking various drugs when you're in a mood and, and well, when you're in a bad mood. So there you are, Mark. You're in that company with decent people you know, that they started for the best of reasons. They didn't mean anything bad. Now the you're aware, and po possibly some of them are aware, some of us are aware that this product is really a bad product. But yet they've got thousands of employees. They're grossing hundreds of millions of dollars. What are they to do? I'm smiling, Richard, like, don't you want to ask a more difficult question? <laughs> well, you know, Mark, you're, you're, you're a thoughtful guy, and, and I look forward to the opportunity to having these kind of thoughtful questions, because these are the things that keep me up at night. Because I, you know, I understand you don't just close a business because you discovered what I just, you know, outlined, but, it, but what do you do? And, and what do yeah. these decent people do? And they've got to go home at night, and they've got to be with their kids, and so on and so on. And their kids have to go to school, and, and you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's out there. Uh, these, yeah. are, these, no. are, these aren't a bunch of psychopaths all running all these companies. They're just people. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, this, this issue, you know, from, you know, people who are... Um, um, producing weapons is another whole, that whole area. Yes, weapons. Uh huh. Uh, whole area of um, chemicals. There's um, there's you know the, the you know hundreds of thousands of people and companies in the you know the chemical different kind of chemicals. Yes. Um, the, the entire probably you could look at the entire food production uh, world is. Um, um, Pretty, you know, um, other than other than probably small organic farms, um, much of it is um, unbelievably uh, 
not exactly uh, corrupt, but um, more uh, causing long-term problems than it is um, solutions. So these these are you know these are huge huge. Um, this is an enormous and, uh, and and a wonderful issue that you're raising. Yes. Um, and, and and maybe and and I think um, uh, so. You know, I, I I could get you know this is we, we we could spend a week talking about this. It's such a meaty. But but let me. That sounds you know, good. I, Come on up to Wilbur Hot Springs sometime. <laughs> we'll spend a week together and and talk about these things and and tape record some of it. Yeah. Well, maybe my you know. <laughs> but what my, you're my doing, the reason I'm asking you, Mark, because it seems to me that what you're doing is making inroads into what we're talking about because you're working with the consciousness of the people who are running these companies. That, that's right. And, you know, and we recently actually did a training for a defense, a Washington, D.C. defense contractor. And we, you know, when they called me and said, would we come do a training with some of their leaders? My, I, was, I, I, was, I was like, hmm, like, really? Do, it's just kind of the, the, the question that you're, um, that you're asking like, do, one, do, do I say no? Do we not work with these people? If I say yes, um, what is my motivation? And, and uh, you know, so, so I think, so in the, you know, Richard, in the, in the best of all possible worlds, um, I feel like uh, our, what, what, what I'm hoping that, that our, our real aspiration is we're all about, as you said, we're about changing people's consciousness and, and building awareness, and um, you know, in 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 some way, it's in some way, it's not maybe it, you know, as an analogy, it's like in in one's personal life, uh, what do you do when you wake up one day and you realize your feelings about this person have changed? Yes. You are a different. You are a different person. You are now. You wake up and you're a different human being. And when you're honest with yourself. You realize you you know you need to have some difficult conversation, or maybe this relationship isn't going to work. Like yikes, what do you do? And I think it's it's a lot like that. As you, and I loved actually the example you gave. You know, gummy bears, which when that company was created, it was like who who knew? You know, they yeah. had the best of intentions. They were they were they were creating a product that everybody thought was cool and fun. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, or or even um, you know, Coca Cola. Uh, um, I just um, <laughs> there, I just saw an, an advertisement uh, on during kind of primetime television that Coca-Cola was doing where they were attempting to, um, you could tell that, that they feel um, contradictions and paradoxes about uh, the product they're making and, and they, they want to do the right thing and, they're, and I believe and they're trying to figure it out. And it's like they woke up one morning and suddenly it's been discovered that they make a product that is causing a really bad health effects all over the world. Yes. And, and it's like, oh, my God, what uh-huh. do we do? Yeah. We're, no, what do we do? What do we um, do? So, so I think what, you know, what they've done and what they're doing, you know, they purchased, they're purchasing companies like Odwalla that makes great product. They make natural juice product. They've purchased companies like um, uh, Honest Tea that makes like real, tea, you know, pretty good, pretty good tea product. Um, and I think that they're probably, I, I'm, 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 
hoping, guessing that they've, you know, they've got, they, they can see the writing on the wall that, that um, they, they find themselves um, needing to shift their business toward, you know, toward where the world is going. We all, we all need to do that. Just like, you know, just like General Motors, they woke up one day, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were sitting around smoking cigars, making tons of money with their big cars and convinced, oh, the world, you know, the, this, this is, this is just a fad, this thing about small fuel efficient cars. But, but they finally, you know, hey, they're, 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 they're getting it. It took, it took them a while. You know, it takes us all a while. You know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, we all, we all don't want, um, change. You know, I, I talk about a, um, in my book, uh, I talk about a support group that I want to form called Buddhists Against Change. Because uh, <laughs> um, I don't like change. I don't, I don't, you know, it's like when I, when I was running my, um, you know, I, I had the same question in my business, Richard. You know, I, um, I ran a, I started and ran a greeting card and calendar company called Brush Dance. And, um, and when we started making calendars, I recognized that the only way to be in the calendar business in the United States is to produce calendars overseas. You cannot be in the calendar business. You either have to say, I'm not going to make calendars, or you have to produce them uh, in, in Asia. And I can remember um, I started to do that, and my daughter at the time, I think my daughter was like, you know, 14 or 15, and she came to me and she said, Dad, I don't, I, I'm not feeling so good about this. I don't know that I feel good about my, you, my dad. You're making, you're making calendars in China? Really? Like, what are you thinking? And, um, and that, like, it's like, ouch. <laughs> this was, you know, so it's one thing to talk about you know, um, HSBC or Gummy Bears Company. This was me in my, in my company. Yes. And, 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 and I'm faced, you know, and I think, and I think many of us were, you know, we're all faced with these issues in, in very personal ways. You know, it's like even, you know, if you drive a Prius, well, where was that battery made? Who, who died for the chemicals in that battery or the computers we use or the phones we use? So we're not, we're all, you know, we're all, um, uh, implicit, uh, implicated in, in certain ways in, in just, um, being, waking up and being a human being in, in our culture. So I think, I think we all need to look at, uh, one, how do we contribute to these problems and issues? And then what can we do about it? What, what, you know, what can we do about it? And it's, and I think it's what we can do about it in our own lives, what we can do about it, uh, politically. And for me, um, what I've decided to get back to your original question is I've decided that I, I, I want to work with these companies to help them to, uh, to expand their awareness and help in a, in a long term. I hope I can help by working with leaders who have uh, a good deal of influence that we can actually make uh, systemic uh, change in, in, some, in some way toward, toward a healthier healthier, more equitable, more peaceful world. Is my, that's my hope. And um, I have to make a living, too. And, and, and there's, it's fraught. What I'm doing is fraught with potential uh, conflicts of interest. 
Um, and I try to be as open, transparent, and aware of, of that and my own motivations, um, others' motivations, as I possibly can. Well, I can hear within when you're, what you're saying, embedded in what you're saying, the exercise that you started with, which is that as you teach these people in business what you, th- that you're working with, that we're all alike, the, the, the similarities, that it'll be more and more will their consciousness be raised to the fact that we're all in this together and that they I, will transition, as you're saying Coca-Cola is, they will transition into products that are better for all of us. And we should, you know, we should be aware of what's happening at those levels and at the same time, um, you know, bring awareness to different levels, too, in our, in our, own, our own lives and own businesses. Well, and now I'm aware that our time has run out. Uh, you have an, something else to go on to, and I'm going to go on to news and notes. So I want to thank you, Mark Lesser, for uh, being on our program today. Mark's book, Know Yourself, Forget Yourself, Five Truths to Transform Your Work, Relationships, and Everyday Life. I'm sure you can find the book online. Uh, Just Google Mark Lesser, L-E-S-S-E-R, and you'll get plenty of information, including a a wonderful uh, YouTube video of Mark uh, giving a lecture. Thanks, Mark. I hope to have you on again. Really appreciate it, Richard. Thank you. Take care. And now... After that lovely interview with Mark Lesser, news and notes in psychology and medicine. Well, I talked a bit about, uh, about gummy bears. I, I, um, I hope my message there is uh, as clear as I'd like it to be, namely that there are meta levels of communication when we buy and ingest products. When we give a child something, whether it's a gummy bear or a chocolate bar or something sweet, something that has little, if any, nutritional value in it, but it does change the child's emotions, you're not only giving them something that has no nutritional value. It would be like going to your gas, to going to the gas station, and you pull up, and they've got the different octane ratings, 87, 90, and 91, and then there's one, and then there's water, and you decide to put water uh, in your tank. Well, you know, water has a value, and, and certainly there is some calorie. There are some calories in these bars and in these uh, gummy bears and these various things, but they're not of value. They won't make the car run, but they will change the feeling. And that's part of the meta communication, which is our learning to take something and put it inside us when we want to change what's inside us rather than closing our eyes and doing the most inexpensive thing possible, which is to go inside and change our emotions by ourselves. And I believe that that's really what we want to be teaching each other and teaching our children. Uh, one of these many things that we take is something called hydrocordone. Hydrocordone is a highly addictive narcotic It's used in combination with at least 20 other prescription pain and cough medications. You know, it's sold as Vicodin, it's sold as Lortab, it's sold as Norco, it's sold as something called Kojesic. Um, It's the most overprescribed drug in the United States, and it's creating the world's worst epidemic of prescription narcotic use. Hydrocodone, by the way, is... um, it's part of a family of drugs known as opioids, as an opium, that includes heroin, morphine, oxycodone, and methadone. 
I mean, it, it, it's a very effective painkiller. It's also a tremendous business. Hydrocordone alone is a $10 billion a year market. In, 19, uh, in 2011, doctors wrote 131 million prescriptions for combination hydrocordone painkillers, and they wrote them to 47 million Americans. If you're taking hydrocordone, talk to your physician about how much you're taking, how frequently you're taking it, how long you have to take it for, and just keep your attention up about this very powerful drug. As I say, it's, it's creating a prescription drug epidemic in the United States. Another one on my list here, the sleeping pill. I've talked to you before about Ambien. Uh, Ambien belongs to a, a, a family of drugs that are used uh, for sleeping uh, medication. Uh, it, it also goes under the name Zalpidem. Uh, you may uh, have heard of some of the other uh, of sleeping medicines, or you may have been prescribed them, such as Intermezzo, Lunestra, Sonata. Um, there are a lot of safety concerns regarding uh, these sleeping medicines, including an impairment of alertness and motor coordination. There was a driving study with Intermezzo where people's next day driving was statistically impaired for three hours after taking uh, the drug. Some people have uh, anaphylactic reactions, that's an uh, allergic reaction, which includes swelling of the face, lips, throat, and more. Uh, people report, and the studies report, uh, memory loss of activities performed the night before. And in addition, there's worsened depression, there's suicidal thinking, and they are drugs of dependence. So if you or somebody you know is taking Ambien, Lunestra, any of these um, intermezzos, be aware, be on alert, keep your attention, to keep your attention up on these medications. Let's talk about something perhaps a little more uh, pleasant. Um, the omega-3 uh, omega fish oil supplements have now been brought into question, in fact, more than brought into question. They're downright, co they're downright controversial. Uh, the question is not whether omega-3 has a positive effect on, on cardiovascular health. It's whether or not we can get this enhanced cardiovascular health from fish oil supplement. The key word is supplement. It's because the recommendations are still there for eating fish and getting the fish oil. So it's not that the omega-3 fatty acids don't promote cardiovascular health. It's that it's now controversial as to whether we get anything out of the fish oil supplements. And this whole issue of, of supplements, you know, it, it is up for grabs, and it has been for decades. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, the European scientists talk about the Americans' uh, people having the most expensive urine in the world because we, we spend billions of dollars on vitamins and supplements and basically urinate them out, uh, and they don't stay in the body. So it's controversial. Uh, as to whether they do or not, but in the in the fish oil uh, supplements, right now it's saying no go. Save your money if you want to get the fish oil, the omega three fatty acid. Um, the fish that are recommended, 
anchovies, herring, mackerel, salmon, sardines, and trout. Um, that's the list. That's what I'm looking out for. Let's see what, oh, we have a telephone call here. Let's, uh, let's take a call. We haven't taken one so far today. Thank you, Michael. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Good morning, Richard. This is David in Fort Bragg. Hi, David. I want to bring to your attention that you were repeatedly pronouncing the word as hydrocordone, and I think you'll find, if you look it up in your um, physician's desk reference, that it's hydrocodone, as in codeine. You're absolutely right. That's my New York accent I'm from, from 50, 60 years ago. Thank you so much. It is hydrocodone. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you. And, and for those of you listening, he's right. I'm putting an R in there in my pronunciation. It's hydro, H-Y-D-R-O, and C-O-D-O-N-E, hydrocodone, cordone. I don't know how I got that in there, but I did. Thanks again, David. Um, there are some uh, foods that it appears as if they have uh, medicinal effects. And many of you are experimenting with various kinds of foods. One of our uh, listeners, uh, Dorothy, sent in uh, some of these for me to uh, share with you. Uh, I'm particularly interested in uh, uh, this one that says, painkillers in your kitchen, because this is a natural painkiller. Uh, it's ginger. And it, according to this, um, uh, this report, uh, up to 63% of the people who ate uh, ginger, that was uh, one teaspoon of dried ginger, or maybe two teaspoons of chopped uh, ginger uh, daily, 63% of the people reported that it eased their muscle and, um, and, and joint pain. And ginger's pretty tasty stuff. What I like about um, these uh, foods that might possibly be medicinal, is that there's very little downside. I mean, what terrible thing can happen to us from eating a bit of ginger for a couple of weeks just to see if, in fact, it's effective on us if we're one of those 63%. Uh, right now, uh, I'm suffering from a uh, toothache and a, a molar in, in, in the back of my mouth, and I read here that if I eat a clove, uh, it can ease tooth pain and gun, gum inflammation for two hours straight. So I get a box of cloves. I'm going to carry them around. In fact, after the program, I'll probably go to a Down Home Foods and see if I can get some, uh, some cloves. Here's one on um, apple cider vinegar is good for heartburn. Heartburn, by the way, you know what that is. That, that's when you, uh, when you cough up some food gastroesophageal reflux, you reflux up some, some food that has the acid from the stomach in it, and then you burn, and it feels like a, they call it heartburn, but it's really not. It's really, uh, it's really esophagus burn, and it's actually a dangerous thing. Um, but apple cider vinegar mixed with eight ounces of water before a meal? I don't know about that one. I'm not so sure I could drink a glass of apple cider vinegar. You think you could, Michael? You want to drink? You could. Michael says, huh, you've done it? Michael's drink. He's done it. Did it work? He can't say. Un uncertain as to whether it works or not. Um, fi fighting tummy troubles with fish. Irritable bowel syndrome. When your belly is in an uproar, here's a study that uh, says that 
Fatty acids in fish, we mentioned the fish before, can provide a great deal of natural, side-effect-free anti-inflammatory. Do we have time for one call? We've only got a half a minute. Well, I'll take that call uh, at the end of the show. Um, but it, the, with one last study, 80% of women who struggle with premenstrual syndrome and its uncomfortable syndromes, uh, symptoms rather, report Yale researchers. Yes, one to two cups of yogurt a day can slash premenstrual syndromes by 48%. That's it. I have to wrap it up now because we're on our way. So thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is made possible by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, my friend Mike Delora. Please join me again in exactly three weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for and is essential for life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm.